What's happening, you bad motherfuckers? I'm just kidding. None of you are bad motherfuckers. You are good motherfuckers. And welcome back to another episode of the Anonymous Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Michael. And today I'm joined by God, almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, my man, brother man. God, you got some words you want to share with the people? You better shut the fuck up when you talk to Michael. Michael the Bozo. Bozo the Clown. So I'm Michael now. I'm Michael. Yeah, I don't know. You think you're like Michael the Archangel or something like that, but you get taken down very easily. You know what that's in reference to, by the way? No. Okay, so Kanye. Kanye West in the news. Everyone's been hearing about this. Everyone's losing their fucking minds. He went on that uh, Drink Champs podcast hosted by Noriega and some other bozo, and uh, he goes on there, and he went on this crazy rant where he just started, like, comparing himself to Michael or whatever, and I actually have a clip I want to play for you, and I'm curious if, uh, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about this and kind of what your thoughts are. You'll love this shit. Really funny. Here we go. I'm going to play it real quick. Just a kick off. Kick, kick off the podcast on a more lighter note, a little lighthearted note. You know what I'm saying? Hold the clip. Devil is a defeated foe. You can't poison me. And by the way, y'all already fuck with me so much. Y'all already black mirrored me. You already made everybody think I'm crazy. You already took my family away. You already separated all my friends. I don't got no celebrity friends. Because when I was on TV, on Instagram saying, I don't know where my child is. And the Kardashians kidnapped my daughter in public. And I didn't have the address of my child. None of these niggas that want to say something Travis now. Travis gave you the address, though. Travis gave me the address. Right. But as far as Meek Mills, no. Puff Daddy, whoever, none of these niggas. All you fake hard niggas, fuck you. Wait, Come, wait, no, no, wait. hold on, hold on. Okay. All you fake hard niggas, fuck you. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. I don't give a fuck who, because you can't shoot nobody anyway. And the reason why you got talks because you did a deal, you fucking fed. You know what I'm saying? That's why you got to come at me, because part of the deal for you to be a daughter, and get out of jail is that you promise that you're going to go pull my co-car. So y'all niggas shut the fuck up about me. Now, let me say it calm. You niggas shut the fuck up about... <laughs> you shut the fuck up about Michael. Right, right. I'm Michael now. Right, Every right. Michael you can think of, right. but mostly Godfather Michael now. Wow. What does he think? He's Michael Corleone or something? Yeah, that's what it sounds like. He's saying Godfather Michael. Like Michael from The Godfather that takes over Michael Corleone. That's right. He thinks he's the fucking Don Dada. What the fuck? Yeah, I mean, this whole situation this past week has been cra- has been uh, crazy. He, what did he? What did exactly did he tweet um, that started this whole uh, media rampage? Okay, I don't know the exact tweet off the top of my head. I'll try to find it quick. But he said something to the effect of. Uh, 
Oh, um, and tomorrow I go DEFCON 3 on the Jews or something. Like, some crazy shit like that. Um, let me see if I can find this. Hold up. Images on Google. He said, I'm a bit sleepy tonight, but when I wake up, I'm going to go DEFCON 3 on Jewish people. Funny thing is, I actually can't be anti-Semitic because black people are the actual Jews. Also, you guys have toyed with, toyed with me and tried to blackball anyone who opposes your agenda. Um, so it sounds like he kind of went like the Nick Cannon route, right? Didn't isn't Nick Cannon like a black Israelite or something, where he thinks that like the Jews are aren't God's people and like the black Israelites are or something like that? It sounds like he kind of went that route, like on some Farrakhan shit. I mean. Uh, he's been saying some crazy shit, but they banned him off. I think they took him off Twitter before uh, Elon Musk took uh, took over. I think he's gone from Instagram. Um, I don't even know if he had a TikTok at one point, but I think he's gone from all social media. And that led to him to uh, to buying Parler, of course. But, uh, yeah, I don't think he should have been banned off of uh, these platforms. It's kind of ridiculous, to say the least. Yeah, his uh, Adidas deal was ripped up, too. I actually heard a rumor. I don't know if this is fucking true or not. You better correct me here or check me if I'm wrong like you usually do. But I heard a rumor that Adidas is still going to release his designs without the Yeezy branding on it. And they're just going to call it some other bullshit. And they're claiming they own the IP entirely. Like they own his designs. That's, that's what they're going to claim and that's what they're going to try to do. Do you know if there's any truth to this? Is this something that we could verify? I mean, I don't know how we would verify that, but I don't think you can do that. I mean, they they dropped him from the brand. He maybe in his contract that he signed it says that like he they own the intellectual property and that he just gets royalties. I would have to see the contract um, that he signed to be sure. But th this whole ensemble, I mean, he was dropped from Adidas. I think he was also dropped from Balenciaga. Um, he was dropped from a whole bunch of places. I think Aaron Donald and a couple of other. Um, Athletes dropped him from Donda Sports. He runs this kind of like sports agency, and he, he's been uh, dropped all over the place. I think I read in Forbes too that he lost uh, one point two billion dollars this past week just of all, off of all the people dropping him and his net worth. And yeah, they this, say his net worth is that. Like he... Sorry, go ahead. No, no. What? What happened? I was gonna say they say his net worth is now four hundred million down from like two billion or something like that. Oh, that's what they said. I thought they said more than that. I thought it was like over a billion that he dropped the past week. So only he only dropped four hundred million. No, no, no. He dropped two four hundred million from like two billion. So that's oh, a, so that's a drop of one point six. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. More than even more than I said. I think I said one point four. So he dropped like yeah. That's that's a lot to drop in like a couple of days. Yeah. There's another billionaire we're gonna talk about in a little while who's dropped even more in like two days. So we'll talk about him in a little bit though. We've, we've got to talk a little bit about Kanye right now. No, but th this is what these platforms do. Like when, when you get like so, so big and you have so much influence and so much power and basically like you have so much influence and you, te you technically can't be deplatformed because you're already broken, broken to um, the mainstream culture. So what they do is they try and like attack your character. They throw like the attack vector. Oh, this guy's mentally ill. Um, he's crazy. Um you know, since they can't truly take away your influence, they try and discredit you through other attack vectors. And, uh, yeah, basically, the, the whole thing is, I don't think Kanye is crazy. I think the people that say he's crazy, they're uh, stupid and they're retarded. 
and they should realize that Kanye just really has no care for uh, social social norms, and um, he doesn't have any care for being politically correct. And he's a person that challenges uh, the status quo of the of the time. And I understand that his comments are egregious, and that he shouldn't be making comments like that. But the reason that he made the, the comments was to basically bring uh, media attention to uh, an issue that he feels very strong and very uh, he feels very strong about. And people are just taking the comments at, at, at their uh, face value and not looking at the reason why he made those comments. And they're just simply dismissing it instead of reflecting on um, the reason why he went on this charade. And there's no excuse for him to make a comment uh, like that or, or like what he did that he's going to go with DEFCON on Jews. But the reason why he did that is because he believes that uh, the Holocaust and uh, what's going on today with Planned Parenthood, that there's some parallels and some similarities between uh, the two uh, organizations. And there is some validity to that. Uh, you look at like how um, mainstream culture and mainstream people are just sitting by while millions and millions of uh, people, uh, abortions, or millions and millions of kids are dying each year from abortions. I think uh, in actuality, I think it's actually like 600,000 people die from an abortion each year, which is crazy. If you add up all of the, all of the people that have died from abortion over the past 30, 40, 50 years, it eclipses the amount of people that have died from the Holocaust. So what he's doing is he's trying to equate these uh, situations and draw some parallels between the two. And we saw that in uh, Nazi Germany. There was some uh, similarities too, where all the soldiers, they just sat by while these atrocities were going on, just like people in today's culture are sitting by. And they said, like, oh, I'm just following orders, just like people are saying today, oh, my body, my choice. So there is some parallels between that. And I, I just think you can't silence people and you have to look at uh, different things that are going on and look at the, the potential negative effects of silencing people and silencing their voice because you can't truly silence people. The message will always get out and people should be uh, showing compassion towards Kanye in his uh, battle with so-called mental illness and they should be not spreading uh, negativity and they should be looking at what he's saying and looking at the reasons for what he's saying instead of just taking things at face value and dismissing them. Well said, well said. And as I'm looking this up now, I actually see this piece on Congress's website, congress.gov, if you want to go check it out for yourself. The, the title of the piece is The Effects of Abortion on the Black Community. And it says that more than 19 million black babies have been aborted since 1973. And of course, 73 is when Roe v. Wade was introduced uh, and you know upheld in the Supreme Court and that decision was made. So 19 million, I mean, that's a lot of people, right? Um, and I'm not particularly, I, I really don't, uh, you know, some people, when it comes to some of these political issues, they're, I, I always like to say, oh, there's a hill that they're willing to die on. And abortion is not really one of those hills I'm willing to die on. There's a lot of fucked up things that go on in the world and the country. Um, and abortion is, uh, something that I would never want someone to do. Um, but in the event of like a medical emergency with the mother or like certain circumstances, I think it might, unfortunately might, might make sense. Um, but you know, Kanye feels a certain way about that issue and he has every right to ex express his opinion to do so. And for the Twitter mob and for these like radical leftists and, you know, all these other psychos to come after him for saying that, I, I don't, I don't think it's right. I think that he has his opinion and if you disagree, you disagree, but you move on. It's called agreeing to disagree. And that at some place in time, that was accepted in society. 
but now it's just come to a point where you just have to rip everyone down who doesn't agree with you. You know, everyone's allowed, it, it, and it really just speaks testaments to like where we are as a society today. It's like everyone's allowed to express their freedom of speech and freedom of expression until they don't agree with you. And then once they don't agree with you, then you tear them down. It's like, what is this fucking bullshit that we're doing now, people? It's getting a little crazy. And these, uh, more specifically, you mentioned these social networks like Instagram and Twitter and a couple of these other different platforms that Kanye was deplatformed from. It's just like, if you read the terms and conditions of these sites, they're very vague and it just comes down to subjectivity and like how they bend the rules to, to like leave people on the platform that they like and then remove people who they don't like. You could have two people who break the same rule and they violate it to the same extent. But if one person has an ideological leaning that's more left, then the platform is more likely to keep them on there versus someone whose ide ideological leaning is more right. And it's just like this blatant hypocrisy and enforcing rules. And it it's just such a joke. If you're going to have a rule and you're going to leave it very vague and subjective, number one, don't have it at all. But if you are going to have these rules, have them in a way where they're equally enforced and everyone's held to the same standard. Like you can't just draw the line in the sand and move it when it's convenient for your party or convenient for people who share the same ideological bias as you. Yeah, that's completely true. I mean, you should have, uh, you know, freedom of speech on both sides of the aisle. There should be a dialogue. There should be a debate on different issues and you shouldn't just take away certain viewpoints that you don't like because you get emotionally triggered. And you know, people need to become more stoic in today's uh, day and age instead of having these emotional dizzy attacks. And like these people need to stop foaming from the mouth, as uh, I like to say. But uh, yeah, this this Yeezy termination deal is probably one of the stupidest things I ever seen uh, a company do. Uh, Yeezy it makes about two billion revenue for Adidas, and the total revenue of Adidas is twenty billion a year. That's over ten percent of Adidas's revenue, and they just cut them off of uh, a comment. And I think they should be actually, I think they should be sued for this because. They're, they're having an emotional breakdown and they're having a dizzy attack based off of what was said. And they're doing this at the uh, expense of the shareholders. And we're going into recession. And due to this public pressure and outrage, um, they basically lost $2 billion of, of uh, revenue. Ideas. And you know, shareholders yeah, you should can, put pressure on them and, and get rid of the board of directors. You could make a phenomenal argument that they're actually violating their fiduciary duty and uh, you know, deposing uh, Kanye as a brand ambassador and a creator of the brand, right? You, I mean, you could make that argument pretty fair from a economic standpoint. Yeah, I mean, why, why not? Why, why would they uh, get rid of them when it's ten percent of their revenue? It doesn't make any sense. Do they think that um, the outrage and the, and the pressure put on them would lose them two billion dollars of revenue? I doubt it. I mean, we saw what happened with Nike and Colin Kaepernick. And they did as good good as ever when a certain side of the aisle or certain people um, had an issue with what was being said on the political side. So I don't think this – I think they would lose more money by terminating them than not terminating them. And just like most things, media cycles and things that go on, they blow over in a couple of weeks and people don't remember what was actually said. Yeah, so you were telling me offline that Kanye – stormed sketchers headquarters or something what the fuck happened with that what was he looking for a new brand deal or something yeah he stormed uh he stormed sketchers headquarters did you see that crazy man 
And then he got uh, publicly thrown out by the uh, the security. They threw him out of there. Yeah, they're nuts. I don't agree with a lot. I could get the parallels he's trying to create where he's saying, hey, at least from his perspective, of course, hey, there's like a modern day Holocaust going on, and that's Planned Parenthood operating in like primarily the inner cities where there are people of color who are being, you know, kind of coerced into having abortions, right? So from his perspective, I could see that. But and and I could see why he's drawing the parallels to the Holocaust. But then he's making comments where he's saying, "Oh, you know, the Jewish media is telling my family X, Y, Z, and to like put this shit out." And he's just like labeling everything as like Jewish. Very weird. But like he was also saying in his like anecdotal experience, and I saw him talk about this on uh, Lex Friedman. By the way, everyone should watch the podcast with Alex Friedman and Kanye. It was really good. I was listening it, listening to it on the ride to work and and home. But he makes this um he makes this assertion that at one point he had like eight people working for him, right? He had a lawyer, he had like a manager, he had a lawyer, a manager, a touring manager, um, you know, real estate agent, whoever. And like he would go to do something. And he said all these people, he found out after the fact, they were meeting in private without him. And they were like figuring out ways to like make money off of him without him, I guess, realizing that they were all kind of working together. And I don't even think that's like, see, from his perspective, it's it's just like he's thinking like, oh, whatever, right? But it's that's not even inherently like a trait that you could attribute to a specific group of people that's just generally people being slimy, right? It's like if they were all white, you wouldn't just be like, oh, these whiteies are fucking trying to slime me out of all my money or whatever, or scam me. It's just like, okay, they're, they all, it's like they're just scummy people who happen to be white. So like from his perspective, he's saying like, oh, look, they're all Jewish or whatever. That doesn't mean anything because they could be non-Jews doing the same thing. It, it does happen all the time. Like bad people who are like bad business managers or people who are grifters, right? Let's just call them grifters because that's what they are. These are just people who are making looking to make a quick buck and they come in all different shapes, colors, and sizes. Like there are people who are slime balls of every nationality or like every background. So for him to kind of label it like that, is a little silly. It, it comes off um, like he's trying to group people together and he's being kind of a little prejudiced when he said it like that. But I think that he should just say, Hey, they, I had these group of, you know, guys or whatever I was dealing with and they were all slime balls and you know, whatever. But as far as the parallels between Planned Parenthood and the Holocaust and stuff like that, and how he feels about that issue, I don't think that's a far cry whatsoever. I think in terms of deaths, I mean, we just established 19 million, you know, black babies since uh 1973 what about other ethnicities and by the way people are going to try to fight me on that comment or whatever the case may be that's straight from congress's website i i gave you the article i told you to look that shit up right on congress.gov you could look it up 19 million uh black babies since 1973 and that's only one demographic so what it's probably maybe closer to 30 million or maybe 25 million when you factor in the other demographics. So.
Yeah, I mean, I just think what he said was just poorly phrased. He's not the most articulate person in the world. And you have to look at his background as like a rapper slash poet and the fact that he likes to use a lot of analogies. And you shouldn't take um, what he was being said at face value. And you should read deeper into it based off of his background, um, from where he came from, Chicago. And like, you know, he's not the most articulate person. He's a rapper slash poet. So he uses a lot of analogies. And people are just taking things way too literally. Yeah, he has a very strong economy of words, and he's very good at putting things together and do like raps and putting things together in a way where he does a double and triple entendre or rhymes together certain terms that you wouldn't think about rhyming. And in terms of structure with that, he's very good at that. But as a speaker, he's not a good orator at all. He's a, he's a great designer, good rapper, clearly has a, a good ear for music. But he's not a good orator. Like he's not a very good public speaker whatsoever. He kind of just starts rambling. It's almost like when you have to hit a word count and you're like typing an essay. He that's how his brain is. Like he just starts rambling and he gets like diarrhea mouth. He's not a good public speaker whatsoever at all. But you know who is a good public speaker? Elon fucking Musk, bro. Elon Musk closed the fucking deal. He freed the bird, baby. Free bird. Free bird. Closed the deal. He walked into Twitter HQ yesterday with a sink in his hand, and he says, I'm in Twitter headquarters. Let that sink in. One of the best tweets I've ever seen. Hilarious meme. Went Walked right in there, went in there for the meme, got the deal done, closed the deal. Um, the funding came through pretty late Wednesday night, I heard, from a few different banks, and that was it. And he closed the deal, and he said, he actually released this long, lengthy statement, and it was a great statement. I don't know if you saw this, but how do you feel about Twitter as a platform now, and where do you think that we go from here? Do you think he'll uphold free speech? Do you think he'll capitulate in any way? Like, What do, what do you kind of think things are going to fall into place here as? Uh, just when you thought Elon Musk uh, could do no more good for the world, he comes here again. And he achieves the, the impossible. And Twitter Twitter is going to be uh, completely changed around. I saw some tweets about what his plans are uh, with Twitter. He's going to be make it, make it more like a YouTube platform, and he's going to have monetization for um, Twitter's creators. So it's, they're going to like um, put in vi- a lot of video on Twitter, and you're going to be able to make ad revenue from uh, Twitter. Um, and he's going to make a lot of changes overall with Twitter. And before he took over, you know, we saw the, the great control that people wanted to put on free speech. We saw cancel, cancellation um, and like basically the ocean of our uh, American ideals. And, um, you know, we saw like people manacling in uh, our lives and taking away our freedom. And Elon Musk is going to come to the rescue, change the Twitter uh, platform, get rid of all the bots on the platform. Massive amount of bots. That's a huge problem. Uh, create revenue for its users so that they become more engaged because all the top users, like I mentioned, I think we mentioned this before in another episode, the top 10 users on the platform don't even use it. Like Justin Bieber, all those stars don't even use it. And if you create a monetization incentive, it will keep people engaged with the platform and it will, uh, you know, have more, more people engaged and have more dialogue by doing that. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think he, he's got a lot of work to do. He's got to fire. He's got to get rid of a lot of those people that are in, in the Twitter workforce. They're massively uh, 
over overhired Twitter massively overhired over the past couple of years, and they got a lot of uh, degenerates and morons in the company. Uh, recently, I think he just started off firing people. He fired Parag, uh, that lawyer, uh, head lawyer VJ Guja or whatever, something like that, and like a couple of other executives. And there were rumors going around that he was going to fire seventy five percent of the workforce. But I don't think that's true. I think that's made up nonsense that the media put out. All right, so uh, three things here. The 75% figure that was thrown around is complete horseshit. He's not letting go of 75% of the employees. That's number one. He confirmed that that wasn't the case, and he's been pretty good at giving his word to certain things, especially when it comes to directly affecting other people or people who work for him. He's been pretty good with that. So I will say this. I don't think he's going to fire 75% of the workforce um, because he did address that comment after it came out. So that's number one. Um, That lawyer he fired, that was the lady who was on Rogan where it was her, Rogan, uh, Jack Dorsey, and Tim Pool. And Tim Pool fucking mopped the floor with her. If you remember that, it was amazing to watch. Um, He just destroyed her on like Twitter's terms of service and why... Certain creators are banned for certain things and other creators who are more left-leaning don't get banned for doing those same things. And it made sense to get rid of her. She literally was incompetent. Um, she didn't know what she was talking about when she was on the podcast and, and quite frankly, asked very straightforward questions that I think anyone who has like a basic understanding of the platform or works with the company would be able to answer. But of course, she gave the most obfuscated answer ever, and Jack Dorsey just sat there and was like, oh, I have a lawyer here to fucking protect me, like, whatever. So he didn't care. Um, and then the guy Parag, who was the CEO, Elon just thought he was a slapdick from day one, and I'll tell you why. Because if you actually read the leaked text messages that came out, he was um, texting Calacanis. Is that the guy's name? Jason Calacanis? Is that how you pronounce his last name? Is it Jason Calacanis? Calacanis? Who's Mark Cuban's buddy? Is I that how you pronounce that guy's name? Say the name however you want to say it. I don't like that guy anyway. Fuck him. Yeah, I'm not a fan of him anyway. Let's say that's. Yeah, whatever. Let's, let's call him Calacanis or whatever. I don't know how to say this fucking guy's name. He's not that important in the story. It's just like for context and kind of setting the stage. Elon and him were texting, and he says, where's Parag? Where's Parag? Like in the middle of – because originally – if you don't know, Elon bought like six or 7% of the company. And he's like, yeah, I have a board seat, whatever. And then once he kind of proposed changes he wanted to make and the Twitter board wasn't really rocking with it, he was like, fuck this. I'm buying the company. He's like, this is fucking retarded. Like, why am I going to buy a board? Why am I going to buy all this equity in this fucking company? And then I have no say in what goes on in the day to day. Fuck this shit. Right. So then he was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm buying the company out. So he went to go to the CEO, Parag, and he couldn't get a hold of the guy. And he's like, yeah, I'm in the middle of making a fucking buyout offer to Twitter. And this fucking slapdick is at the Four Seasons in Hawaii, you know. And he just said to uh, Calcanis, he, you know, messaged him and he goes, he's like, this fucking douche is in, you know, Hawaii at the Four Seasons. And he, because he planned a, a 10-day vacation And it just so happened that it's when I'm buying the company out, like come back from your fucking vacation, dickhead. And then, you know, reschedule the vacation, cancel it and then go back out, you know? 
And it's just this whole thing where like the guy wasn't even taking it seriously. He went away for the entire time. So really a large portion of that buyout was delayed because this slap dick was on CEO in Hawaii. So I, I mean, it totally unprofessional, totally um, violating his fiduciary duty as a CEO. He really should be there and he should be entertaining the buyout offer. If Elon Musk is going to you know, make him one or whoever's going to make him a buyout offer, he's got to be ready to go. You got to be ready to drop your fucking personal life and any personal obligations you have and go serve your fucking uh, fiduciaries. And and you better hook people up. Like you you can't be sitting around, you know, drinking Mai Tais on a fucking Zoom call in Hawaii. Like, no, that's not how we're getting down. Your ass better be back on the next flight over to Palo Alto, San Fran, wherever the fuck Twitter is. I'm pretty sure they're in San Fran. Your ass better be on the next flight over there and you better be taking a meeting. And you better be taking a meeting the same day. You better catch a fucking red eye, fucking four AM, five AM flight. Right back it right back into San Fran, you take a meeting at 8.30, 9 a.m., that's it. That's how you got to be. But this guy, you know, he didn't want to do that. And guess what? Now he's out. Now he now he doesn't have a job. I guarantee you if he was willing to play ball with Elon Musk, Elon Musk would have kept him. That lady, though, that lawyer, she was dead in the water. Once Elon, because he's friends with Rogan, once Rogan said to him, oh, we had that fucking lady on the podcast, and she's a fucking dipshit. And then Elon probably watched the footage and was like, oh, she's a fucking retard. Why would you keep her around? And that's what happens. You know, you got to be able to prove your worth. You can't just walk through life and think, oh, my God, you know. I I don't know what I'm doing, but people like me, so I'm going to get promoted. Like, it, you know, it's this whole Dunning-Kruger thing where all these dumbasses, they think that they're a lot smarter than they are. And uh, for whatever reason, people buy into it. But Elon Musk is a very bright and intelligent guy himself. So he could read through the bullshit and see, you know, who's about it and who's not. And. As far as I'm concerned, these are two overpaid bozos that he got off their books. The administrative expenses just went down quite a bit. So I'm pretty happy with that. Well, I don't know if that's the case. I mean, did you see the huge golden parachutes that these people got? I think it ended up like over $300 million that you had to pay these people because they got fired. That's fucking crazy. I did not see that. I just want to read this brief message from Elon Musk that he put on Twitter shortly after buying the company. He says, I wanted to reach out personally to share my motivation in acquiring Twitter. There has been much speculation about why I bought Twitter and what I think about advertising, most of which has been wrong. The reason I acquired Twitter is because it is, an, it is important to the future of civilization to have a common digital town square where a wide range of beliefs can be debated in a healthy manner without resorting to violence. There is currently great danger that social media will splinter into far right and far left wing echo chambers that will generate more hate and divide in our society. In the relentless pursuit of clicks, much of traditional media has fueled and catered to those polarized extremes as they believe that is what brings in the money, but in doing so, the opportunity for dialogue is lost. That is why I bought Twitter. I didn't do it because it would be easy. I didn't do it to make more money. I did it to try to help humanity whom I love. And I do so with humility, recognizing that failure in pursuing this goal, despite my best efforts, is, is a very real possibility. That said, Twitter obviously cannot become the free-for-all hellscape where anything can be said without any consequence. In addition to adhering to the laws of the land, our platform must be warm and welcoming to all, where you can choose your desired experience according to your preferences, 
just as you can choose to see movies or play video games ranging from all ages to mature. I also very much believe that advertising, when done right, can be delightful, entertaining, and informative. It can show you a service or product or medical treatment that you never knew existed but is right for you. For this to be true, it is essential to, sh to show Twitter users advertising that is as relevant as possible to their needs. Low relevancy ads are spam, but high relevant ads are actually content. Fundamentally, Twitter aspires to be the most respected advertising platform in the world that strengthens your brand and grows your enterprise. To think, or excuse me, to everyone who has partnered with us, I thank you. Let, let us build something. I just completely butchered that. Let us build something extraordinary together. It was like a pretty good message that he wrote. I like that he said that he doesn't want it to become a hellscape where people can just say anything they want without consequence and he would adhere to the laws of the land. But I do like that he says it would be warm and welcoming to all where you can choose your desired experiences according to your preferences. Like if you wanted to see a movie or video game ranging from all ages to mature. I like that. I think that that was really nice that he says that. And I think that opens the door to new conversations and healthy conversations because that's what's going to help people grow. You can't just have conversations with people you agree with because you don't come away with new perspective. The best thing that can happen to you when you have a conversation with someone that you don't agree with is you look at it from a lens of like, hmm, now I see where that person's coming from. Maybe I should look at things a little bit differently and I might come up with a different opinion. There's really only two things that fundamentally come out of a, an argument or even a disagreement with someone in any type of discussion whatsoever. Either you reinforce what you previously believed to be true, or you come away with new perspective. And that's assuming that you're an adult and you're fully capable of having a reasonable conversation. Right. Are, are you capable of having a conversation and, you know, changing your mind? Do you think you're capable? Are you talking about me personally or just society in general? No, just society, like society in general. Do you think people are capable of like changing their mind and, you know, having a dialogue and conversation? Because it, it doesn't seem like that's the case, like a lot of times. I think particularly younger people struggle with that a lot. I know that when I was younger and I was a young man, I used to struggle with that quite a bit. But the problem is that you fall into an echo chamber and you fall into a camp and you're like, this is my team and my team is better than your team. And it, and at like it's fundamental root, it just becomes humans reverting back to what they did during the caveman times. And even into modern times where it's just straight up tribalism, it's just we're better than you. You're, you know, you guys suck. We we're better. It it literally becomes sports. It's like, oh, the Steelers versus the fucking Browns. Like, the fuck the Browns. The Browns suck cock. And then it's like, oh, well, the Steelers they fucking suck dick. It you know that's what it comes down to. But I think people need to be more mature and need to be willing to engage in dialogues that, especially with other people that they might not agree with. If we could get to that point, we will be so much further along in society because you would have like like the open sharing of ideas is what you need to like grow a society. That's what puts America ahead of all these other countries, especially in terms of technological advancement, because in terms of technological advancement, 
we have all these different groups of people working on their own shit, but it's like, hey, I'm working on this. You're working on this. This guy's working on this. And it's an open society. And I think somewhere along the lines, conversationally, we move more towards like this weird divide where it's like, oh, if I don't agree with you, I don't want to hear from you. So I think we need to get back to being open in that sense. And people need to, you know, not take things personally. Like just because you disagree with someone doesn't mean that they're telling you you're a bad person or it doesn't mean that, you know, if I disagree with you, that doesn't make you a bad person or it doesn't make me a bad person. It just means we have a difference of perspective and a difference of experience. You know, experience is what gears and what creates most opinions that people have. You don't just wake up one day and you have like a take on something usually. No, it's based off of like your past experiences and you're a product of your environment and the people you associate with. That's what forms your opinion. When people have a difference of opinion, it's just an amalgamation of everything you've experienced in your life up until that point of having the conversation. That's what I wanted to make. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think we need to have um, a cocoon of different ideas and different uh, perspectives. And we shouldn't be, be living in this kind of like uh, echo chamber that it seems like a lot of these uh, social media founders and social media uh, creators want us to live in. And a person who's a big proponent of censorship is Mark Zuckerberg himself, uh, the founder of Facebook. It seems like he bans and he censors people when he, he gets triggered and when he when he uh, has some sort of like emotional damage. He uh, he bans people before for like calling him a lizard. Um, he banned people before for calling him a nerd. Like he, he bans people left and right that insult him. And uh, there was like various news articles about just how like people were DMing him uh, like uh, like basically like making fun of him. And then like like he would just ban them. Well, he's got a lot of other problems than internet trolls fucking with him and sending him DMs, calling him a fucking lizard and making fun of him because he was using a meat smoker or whatever, right? That was another meme that was going around. He was like, oh, I like to smoke meats. Because, you know, he's just like a super awkward guy, like very nerdy, um, doesn't, you know, not not a good conversationalist whatsoever, um, doesn't really have like a lot of... Uh, social aptitude but anyway nonetheless i don't really want to bash him now but we are gonna grow him a little bit here well i mean the stock was bashed because this this guy doesn't know how to basically run a company anymore he keeps focusing um facebook's plan is basically to focus on the metaverse and investors have made it clear that they don't give a fuck about the metaverse and they, they don't want um Facebook investing in the metaverse, they want return on capital and they want them to buy back shares and they want them to like raise dividends and such. And he keeps plowing money away into investing into the metaverse. And that hurt him uh, a large deal in this last earnings call when Facebook tanked basically 25% since people have lost faith and confidence in his leadership. And um, it's not like you can get rid of him or get him out of there. He has super voting shares. So people or investors are, um, voting with their dollars instead and selling the stock instead of voting through the natural share voting process that happens in a lot of companies. And Facebook has a terrible uh, board structure, terrible corporate governance. And I couldn't invest in a company like that, that um, doesn't have any checks on the founder, doesn't have any checks on employees. And it seems like uh, they can do whatever they want and not take into, not take into 
uh, the perspectives of their investors and, you know, the unique value points that they have. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, so I actually was just reading uh, a little bit earlier this week that Zuckerberg lost $100 billion in 13 months, which is more than any other billionaire in the world. So he lost $100 billion in 13 months. That is fucking insane. Literally fucking nuts, right? But here's the thing that I really want to focus in on based on what you just said. When you really think about it, because of, like you said, the super voting shares that Zuckerberg has, investing in Meta at this point is just investing in Zuckerberg, right? Like, because if he has the final outcome and like the final say in that outcome of whatever happens with this company, you're pretty much investing in him. You're investing in his input, right? Because there's not really, there aren't really any checks and balances to override him, much like investing in Tesla is really just investing in Musk. And Tesla is just the vehicle that you're using to invest in Elon Musk ideas. You know, it, It's kind of the same thing if you owned equity in SpaceX. It's like, well, yeah, you're investing into the space enterprise company, but it's like you're really investing into like Elon Musk space ideas. And then the other one's like Elon Musk car ideas, you know? So you're really almost investing in people in these two instances rather than companies in their entirety. Uh, but obviously, it's what people can do with these companies. But more or less, Zuckerberg, like you said, he's got really no one there to check him. It's his company. He's the founder. He's not going anywhere. He's a relatively young guy. He's pretty active. Um, I heard him on Joe Rogan say he does like jujitsu jiu and he's uh, a pretty active runner. So, I mean, you know, the guy's active. He does a lot of shit. He's, I think he's in his mid-30s or something like that or almost 40 years old. He's going to be around forever. And I think one of the biggest problems that Meta's running into, they're running into a three-pronged problem here. I think the first problem is that as a company that's a social media company more specifically, they're running into hardware limitation where hardware is getting to the point where it is fundamentally blocking targeted ads from existing on its platform as we see the iPhone and the App Store add more privacy measures that stop data collection for Facebook, which then fucks them over because, again, the whole business model is drawing people in, wasting their time on these platforms, and then saying to advertisers, hey, we have X amount of users and we have Y amount of engagement and time spent on the platform. And fundamentally, they don't have as much data now that they're collecting from their users. So it's harder to pitch advertisers, thus you know, leading to advertisers not spending as much money on their platform. That's number one. Um, number two, I would say, is they've very grossly invested into the metaverse without really seeing how big this market is. They're trying to create a market. Like, they're they're creating this metaverse. They spent, like you said, what is like $100 billion or some crazy amount of money on this metaverse. They don't even know what the demand for it is. I don't think the demand is anywhere near or anywhere warrants $100 billion being invested into the space. Um, I think it's an interesting space, but I don't think it's the best space. And the third problem I want to point out, which is something no one points to, and maybe this is something that I'm bringing to your attention, but most people don't think about this, but Facebook, and when you talk about companies that are 
domiciled in the social media space, they all run into this problem. If they're relevant long enough, they will all run into this problem. And that's Facebook has 3 billion users, and there are only 5 billion people that can be online in the world right now. Because there are 8 billion people on the planet, right? But there are people who don't have access to the internet still. So what do you do with the people who don't have access to the internet? You are capped at the amount, at how big this platform can get, because there are only a finite amount of people in the world. Like, yeah, the population's growing, but it's not enough to justify very high stock valuations. So it, it'll be very interesting to see what they do. And you've actually seen this, and you know, I know some people have, where Zuckerberg's going out and he's actually trying to get people in the developing world online. Yeah, I mean, that's the only way you could expand your customer base right now. Because Facebook's pretty much maxed out unless they want to expand through um, mergers and acquisitions, maybe look into buying uh, different social media platforms like uh, Rumble or uh, TikTok. I think TikTok was bought by Microsoft, though, so I don't think they can, they can get access to TikTok. But, yeah, they're going to have to expand through uh, mergers and acquisitions if they, if they ever want to grow from here. And I don't think Facebook is going to grow with the size that they're already at. I think it's a dismal investment at this point, and I think you should stick away, stick away from a uh, meta. Yeah, I'm not particular. I'm not particularly a fan of Meta either. Um, I think the company fundamentally, if if I'm going to be completely honest with you, with this whole fucking metaverse thing, dude, and I don't know, so this is very this, this is like borderline, you know, conspiratorial, I guess. But if I'm going to be real with you here with Meta. As far as the company rebranding itself and gearing and focusing more on the metaverse, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I think the metaverse was created by Facebook when they realized they weren't going to hit their earnings estimate for that like quarter where they unveiled meta. So I think that they saw that they were going to really miss earnings. Remember this? And then the stock went down how much? What was it, like 30 or 40% in like a week and a half, two weeks? I think right before then, right before they released that quarter's earnings, they were like, fuck, we have to come up with something that'll get people hyped up and that will like kind of pump the stock a little bit back up and get the hype train going. And they did it right at, if you look at the timing, they did it right at like, peak crypto, right? Where like the central land was popping off and Bitcoin was, you know, doing pretty well. Bitcoin was in like that $45,000, $50,000 range. Like they did it at like peak crypto. So it was very interesting to see the timing of this shit. And I don't know, me personally, I think the metaverse, I think it was like a pure like marketing advertising play to get people talking about the company they renamed the company and now they're like, okay, now let's build this fucker out because we've kind of like got people all hyped up for it and shit like that. But I don't think they know how much demand is there for the metaverse. There's a, there are people who won't want to use the metaverse whatsoever. And I think I'm one of them. I don't see any need for it. I like real life unless it becomes completely indistinguishable from reality and I could go to a football game or a basketball game or a baseball game, I wouldn't spend the money on it. I wouldn't spend the money, and I don't think I'd want to sign up. The problem is, uh, another problem that Facebook faces is that they clearly don't know how to handle user data, and they very clearly just turn it over to anyone who wants it. 
And fundamentally, that's a big problem because if people can't trust you and you build up a reputation for being a shithead, no one's going to want to go on your platform and no one's going to care. I could, I'll be completely honest with you. I'm interested in the Oculus Rift headset. I think it's a great headset. It's a pretty reasonable price and I want it. But fundamentally, why I won't buy it is because you need to have a Facebook login to fucking use the thing, which I don't even have a Facebook account. And I have no plans of making one because I don't trust the company with, with my data. And it's very simple. I think a lot of other people feel the same way. I think more people are, uh, you know, at this point, they're like logging off of Facebook or deleting their Facebook accounts entirely than signing up. So the user growth is stalling. They're, they're not really growing that much anymore. And I think at this point, it's pretty warranted. Yeah, they're, they're, they're uh, when you lose trust, when a company loses trust, and through in that company uh, lose trust, it's usually a sh- surefire way that either the company is going to go bankrupt or there's going to be a massive write down in uh, the company's valuation. And I think a lot of these like Fortune 500 companies, they go through this market cycle where they, keep trying to like uh, invest, invest their excess returns. Like these companies that spit out cash, they keep looking for ways to invest in uh, different things. And what they should realize is that um, their job is to basically return uh, capital to their investors. And a lot of people talk bad about share, share buybacks. They think it's like all oh, the destruction of America's uh, financial system. And it's like uh, bad for investors overall, but like share buybacks are like, you know, they're, they're basically, a ways for uh, an investor to uh, get a return on their money. And it's, it's a great thing. And a lot of people think that uh, it's bad overall, but that's simply not the case. Uh, share buybacks, they give people or they give investors um, basically a lower uh, like tax rate since you can return money to investors through like uh, dividends. And that's a good way for uh, people to make money in that regard instead of, the company getting taxed, you just return it to the investor as dividends so that they don't have to uh, sell the shares and they keep the shares for a long period of time. And as we all know, like dividends are taxed lower than, uh, than like uh, income in, in a sense. So like uh, this hostility that's going on in, in uh, Congress today and this like huge pushback towards like stock buybacks is like ludicrous. It's uh, you should let freedom uh, ride and you should live by American ideals and like stock buybacks should be allowed. Stock buybacks are uh, a great, 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 great thing. Yeah, so Facebook and Zuckerberg really gambled on the metaverse. But another big gamble that's happened is Trainwreck TV, the Twitch streamer, came out recently. This was last week, and he said that he made over three hundred. Oh, the guy that lost thirty-five million gambling. <laughs> Yeah, well, he's lost quite a bit of money. He's lost a lot more than that. But Trainwrecks TV from Twitch.com, or I'm sorry, Twitch TV. It's not Twitch.com. So Trainwrecks came out, and he claims that he made over $360 million from his stake sponsorship over a 16-month period. Do you think he's bullshitting, or do you think he actually made that money? No, I think he's probably uh, probably uh, right. I forgot the exact terms of how these uh, sponsorships um, work, but I'm going to give a general idea of what I remember because I looked into this at one point. I think most of these streamers, like these big streamers, they get a million dollars a month. So like that's $12 million a year. And then they get uh, 15% of 
the theoretical losses of all people that sign up using their uh, sign up code or their link. So, for example, right, let's say somebody bets a thousand dollars a week, right? So that's fifty-two thousand dollars a year, and they bet it on slots. So slots, let's say the game, you know, has a twenty percent theoretical loss. So you would take fifty-two thousand times twenty percent. That's ten thousand four hundred, and then train Rex or train would get fifteen percent of that. So he would get one thousand five hundred and sixty from dollars from that one customer. So basically, what you have to think about is, and we, we see this with Drake. Drake has huge popularity. I think he got like 100, 200 million uh, followers on Instagram. If they can get uh, a person or a customer to sign up, say they have a 1% conversion ratio and you have a 100 million follower base, so that's 1 million people signing up, and the people bet, say, only 100 bucks a week, I mean, that's $5.2 billion a year, and then 20% of that is $1 billion, and then you take 15% of it, that's $150 million a year net if you can get that kind of conversion ratio. So yeah, th these, this sponsorship of stake can be uh, pretty lucrative. And that's why a lot of these streamers, they're even with the negative peer, negative uh, public pressure and negative like things that are going on in the media about these different gambling companies, they're not um, getting rid of it because it's, it's lucrative. So they're, they're going to face the pushback because it makes monetary sense to do so. Yeah, so that figure that you threw out a million a month, that was like the entry level, like base starting deal for these streamers. So Train said in the beginning he was making a million dollars a month, but then Aiden Ross he actually leaked Discord DMs that he had with Dual Bits, and this is when he had that Rubet deal, if you remember, with Mike Malak and uh, Phase Banks and uh, Rice Gum or whoever. And Aiden Ross leaked that he was getting a million dollars a week. So if he was getting a million a week and Train was pulling five times or six times the amount of viewership, is it fair to assume that he was getting five or six times as much? Because if you sit there and you actually do the math at, let's say, Trainrex gets three million a week and you say, OK, 52 weeks in a year, you get one hundred and fifty six million for the year. So is I mean, roughly, is it fair to say if he's pulling three to five times the viewership that he would he could theoretically make three to five times more. Yeah, I mean, probably. Um, I, the, the money, I don't think the money really comes from the base pay, though, the base spot pay per month. It's really in your, like, conversion ratio. And Train is, he's like an entertaining guy on the streams, and he's like a, a um, high-risk gambler. He gambles, like, say, like, $100,000, $200,000 on, like, bonus pies. So it's fun to, and addictive to watch. Uh, train he's more fun and addictive to watch and like aiden ross is and he's probably like the number one gambling uh streamer and train um does more gambling streams than aiden ross i think he does like a gambling stream every day pretty much and he, that's his only source of content so yeah i would think train would make much more and have a much higher conversion ratio than aiden ross since he's like gambling on stream much more often yeah, Train is definitely much more entertaining. Um, he He's bringing the uh, Scuffed podcast back, which I'm excited about. I don't know if you've ever listened to that, but usually it's like him and like eight or nine other people hop on like a Discord call and they just start fucking around talking about random things. And he's got like some recurring guests on there and stuff. It's pretty good. I recommend it to anyone that's uh, interested in Twitch or just wants to hear a big podcast with people just talking about shit with like a lot of guests on there. Um, but that's been pretty good. 
But I'll just say this, though, on a side note with Train. I've been following him for a while, probably since about 2016, 2017-ish. So his thing, at least with the gambling, is that when he gambles, he's live for like anywhere from 35 to 40 hours straight. And like, that's it. That's all he's doing is he's on stake. He's doing slots. Like, that's it. And then he'll take like a day or two off and then he'll do it again. So instead of doing, you know, eight to 10 hour streams every day, he just does one big ass stream and then takes two days off and then does another big ass stream. And that's it. And that's all he does pretty much. But now at this point with Twitch gambling being banned, I heard rumors that he might do it on YouTube, which would make sense. And it would actually be smart because Twitch is so stupid. They cut their creator payout to from 70% from a 70, 30 split 70 to the creator 30 to Twitch for their best Twitch partners. It's 50, 50 now. And then they don't have exclusivity anymore. So you, you only get paid. You, you only get paid 50% of what you bring in as opposed to 70% originally but they're allowing you to stream on YouTube and on Facebook and on these other platforms. So if you really think about it, if, if uh, train is smart, if he could figure out how to bring that audience over to YouTube, he could do the gambling streams on YouTube and then do all the other streams he wants or whatever he wants to fuck around with on Twitch. And the other thing too, is uh, he, I don't know if you've seen his stream, like where you see he has the face cam on, He's living in Vancouver, and that's like a ten or eleven million dollar like penthouse that he lives in. Like that's a really nice fucking penthouse. So he's clearly crushing it. Like he's making a fucking shitload of money to buy like a ten or eleven million dollar penthouse. And he also bought um I forgot the Lamborghini, but he bought some like super limited Lamborghini for like two million that's coming in pretty soon. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, but I mean how much uh, how much of his uh Money is he gambling away and losing? I mean, he's he's gambling an awful lot of money. Do you think even like when these people gamble on these platforms, do you even think it's like real or it's just like pretend money? Probably pretend money, right? Probably not even gambling. I I, I am under the assumption. I don't know if this is the case. He's called out other people in the space because he goes, "Oh, they're playing with the, they're playing with fills. Like this is bullshit. Their wins are completely fake. Like that guy Rothstein or whatever." He immediately called him out. He's like, yo, you're using a fucking filled account. Like, just own it, whatever. This is bullshit, right? But he just plays slots. And to be honest with you, my problem with a lot of these gambling streamers is that they just play slots. And slots could very easily be, like, manipulated. Like, the card games, it's tougher. They can be. But it's a lot tougher because it, it's a live stream, right? So unless it's like pre-recorded or some bullshit, there's no way it could really be kind of manipulated. With slots, it's easy. They could just be like, oh, the guy who's playing, you know, this dude, like maybe he gives them like his login or user ID thing, like with his username. And then they're like, they could hone in and see, oh, this guy's been playing slots, like give him a big win or whatever. Or like they rig shit so he'll win more. You know what I mean? Like that seems to make sense to me. But in Train's case, I don't know. I, I feel like it could be I don't I don't know. I feel like it could he could be playing with like a fill account, sure. I mean, how do you prove that he isn't? And he'll never admit if he's using a filled account or not, because he's already called out other people for using a filled account. So he would be a hypocrite if he if he did that. Maybe he does that though. He calls out other people to like 
shift away a lot of the heat from him. So no one thinks he's playing with a filled account. And that might also be a reason why he's like, oh, I'm like addicted to gambling and I gamble all my money away. Bro, if he's gambling all his money away, he's not able to afford an $11 million penthouse and he's not able to afford a $2.5 million uh, Lamborghini that's like one of 100 in the world, you know? If he's really gambling all the money away, how would he be able to live in that $11 million penthouse and either pay his mortgage, pay his rent, or be able to pay for anything in that you know unit? There's There's no way. There's no way. I mean, that's true. You look at, uh, you said the penthouse cost $11 million in Vancouver. Holy shit. So that's, yeah, Vancouver is the most expensive um, real estate market in Canada. More expensive than Toronto, as expensive as Toronto is. Yeah, Vancouver, like, yeah, it's like a 10 or $11 million penthouse for sure. Yeah. And uh, it's a lot. Like, you know, if he's got a mortgage on there, maybe he bought it outright, even like utility and and taxes. I mean, he's looking at a lot of money each month out of pocket. It's not, you know, it's not peanut money. Like he can't just gamble all his money away and then be like, oh, I'll make it back next month. There's no fucking shot. He, he could very easily lie about his gambling losses. You know why? Because Stake isn't ever going to release that information and he's not going to. So there's no one who can check him on that. So he always has like plausible deniability. And if they release that, it would make them look bad. And the stake would be incentivized to like give these fills or give these refills and everything like that. Because when when you see somebody else gambling, it encourages you also to gamble. So they can increase their uh, the money that they make by like having people do these like large scale um gambling streams where they gamble hundreds of thousands of dollars and they make it seem like it's nothing because then that encourages other people to gamble more than they normally would or would uh want to yeah sorry about that i cut you off before what were you saying about vancouver you were blown away that it was like a 10 or 11 million dollar uh penthouse yeah i mean yeah that's a, that's a lot of money for uh, uh for uh, a penthouse i mean that's that's crazy like he's got to be worth like a hundred million dollars, probably at least, to even get like a loan or something for for a house that size. Yeah, I don't want to put this out there because uh, people tried to dox him, but that area of Vancouver where he is, if you look when he has the blinds up, and you could look out and you could you know see into the bay or whatever over there, he's got like water. He literally has like a waterfront penthouse like view of vancouver like downtown vancouver and uh, that's easily a 10 or 11 million dollar penthouse without a doubt because he first of all that's one of the most expensive real estate markets in the world it's the most expensive real estate market in canada and for him to to move to canada just to do that that tells you how much money he was he was making off this deal um and the other thing I feel like is worth mentioning too is that like other streamers were offered a lot of money. So that whole million dollar a month thing, that was like in the early stages of the Twitch gambling meta. Um, but like Mizkiff, he was recently kind of canceled because he tried to cover up something that happened. But he says that he was approached by a gambling company. He didn't want to say who and put them on blast. But they offered him like $350,000 an hour to fucking play on their uh, website. and he. Polls like 40 or 50k viewers. So 
he pulls a lot of viewers too. Um, but XQC, XQC made like two or three million from like three or four gambling streams. So he made a lot. Yeah, so a lot of these people are, are hypocrites saying like, oh, they wouldn't they wouldn't gamble, they wouldn't take um the money. I think XQC said that at one point, like that he wouldn't take any sort of gambling money and then and he went back and then he took money apparently for about three or four gambling streams. A lot of people would, would take money and they just they want to like throw they they're probably jealous that they're not getting the uh people aren't investing in them and giving them money to gamble. So they come up with this idea. Yeah, oh, you're encouraging people to gamble. Oh, you're a bad guy. Oh, you know, people, you're, it's not regulated. Oh, like, no, there's tons of people with gambling sponsorships. There's nothing wrong with it. And, like, you shouldn't even have to constantly explain yourself. It shouldn't even be banned off of Twitch and all these other platforms where they're ban banning uh, steak. But, uh, yeah, changing topics real quick. Um, Magnus Carlsen, he just got sued by uh, that guy Hans Fuckface Neiman. Um, he's basically because of the whole anal beats uh, situation where Magnus Carlson alluded to him cheating. I don't think Magnus Carlson ever said directly that he was cheating. Um, but yeah, apparently he's suing uh, him and chess.com uh, for a hundred million dollars for uh, libel and slander. I mean, I also heard that he's suing um, grandmaster Hikaru as well. He was named in that lawsuit. Wow. Uh uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think uh, Hikaru even said anything about it. He was just making, he like, uh, uh, at least said anything directly. I don't think this lawsuit is going to go anywhere. I mean, because you and you have to prove that um, the information is false. So maybe this lawsuit is good in the sense that he has to prove that the claim that um, Magnus or. Um, he has to, yeah, in a way, and, he uh, has to prove um, that he has to prove that he didn't cheat. Right. Because if he's able to right. prove that he didn't cheat, then they're in the wrong. So it's almost it almost kind of works to their favor. But Hikaru, he was reacting to videos of people breaking down the moves. And it was like, I, I forgot how they do this. I'm not a big chess guy. I know that you play a lot of chess. But th they do these things where they, they like back test someone's moves or like a match's moves through a system. And they could say like with certain, I guess, confidence intervals like, What's the best move in that situation? Like if a guy moves a pawn, you know, and then you move like a rook or some shit, it's like, oh, well, that was that's the best move like 98% of the time or like that's the best move 40% of the time. Like they broke it down like that. And literally this dude, Hans, fucking he moved the right piece like 99% of the time. And it was like, what the fuck? Like he, he did like everything perfectly. And it's like, okay, that makes sense to have, like, a, a really good match. But then they were like, well, the likelihood of of him making the best move, you know, 15 times in a row when the opponent does this is, like, less than, you know, like, a tenth of a fucking percent or some shit. And they were able to assign, like, probability to this using, uh, you know, you know, using, like, basic math and just breaking shit down. And it was very interesting to see. But Hikaru reacted to this, and he looked at it, and he verified it for himself, the mathematics and shit. And he was just like, oh, very interesting, very interesting, like that. And he was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, like that. So he added, like, doubt to the 
validity of Hans beating Magnus Carlsen legitimately. Um, but the whole situation is fishy, and Hans Neiman, like, I mean, I saw an interview with him where he was at the uh, St. Louis Chess Club. I believe that's where he was playing in that big tournament. And he entered that tournament as, like, the worst-ranked guy and beat the number one chess player in the world. And Magnus Carlsen's just like, there's no way. Like, this guy had to cheat. And apparently, Magnus Carlsen had, like, a new move or, like, a new approach that he didn't tell anyone about and some people on his team knew. But this guy, like, prepared for him to do that move, even though he's never done it in a tournament, ever. So it was, like, a different open. He went with, like, a different open. But this other guy anticipated that he was going to do the open, even though he never did in a tournament before. So there's something going on. Either there's a mole in Magnus Carlsen's camp, in which case that guy's a fucking dickhead if he's a mole, or, like, Hans Neiman has some type of new cheating device, like you were talking about with that poker game. Yeah, I mean, he, he's he's definitely most likely cheating because even if you look at the game with Magnus Carlsen, it did it doesn't even seem like he was concentrating and he was making these perfect moves where you would have to basically have um, the foresight to see like 25, 30 moves in advance and do a lot of calculations. And it, it seemed like, you know, he was just being like uh, careless with his moves. Like he wasn't even thinking and he wasn't even concentrating. He wasn't using any brain power. So that that's the r- real reason why Magnus was like, oh, something's up. This guy seems too relaxed. Like he's making perfect moves. He's too relaxed. Um, he's following Stockfish, uh, the chess engine to a T. There's no deviations from it. Uh, he's able to uh, make these, uh, make the best moves with uh, ease. And yeah, I, I don't think I don't think this lawsuit's going to go anywhere. I mean, he, he would take, he would have to prove that he uh, he in fact wasn't cheating, which I don't think you can do with all of the analysis that was done by Chess.com and um, other parties and such, and the fact that he admitted to cheating um, before. So when you're a celebrity or when you're someone with uh, a lot of uh, like notoriety, you have to prove that there was like malice on the other person's uh, behalf, the other person's behalf, and that they did it intentionally. And the fact that he cheated before and that he admitted to cheating before in online games proves that like there wasn't malice and it could have been just an honest mistake. So like he's not like a regular person and the libel and slander standards are much higher for uh, these sort of like celebrities, these people uh, that are prominent in the media. So I don't think this case is going anywhere. I think he needs to grow up and like realize and recognize that he's a cheater, take responsibility for it. Do you know what else you can count on? If not, Hans Neiman cheating. You can count on this episode being over. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sticking around. It's been another great episode of the Anonymous Investors Podcast. Wrapping it up. Put Wrapping it up, putting a bow on it. Have a happy Halloween, everyone. Stay safe. Be happy. And uh, don't eat any candy.